How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Atheists, agnostics, long haired weirdos, short haired weirdos, Welcome to the Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Trey Orndorf, a political scientist at Oklahoma Christian University, and I am joined by the professor of law at Chase Law School, Ken Katkin. Ken, welcome to the midweek Constitution show, when it's us at least. All right, it is great to be back. Yeah, you know, it's been a lot of fun kind of slowly but surely making our way uh, through the Constitution, you know, one little piece at a time. And and today is no different. Uh, so but what will make today maybe a little bit different is, is we're going to be finally finishing up uh, our journey through the first article of the Constitution uh, where we have dealt with, well, primarily Congress and the legislative branch, which is what Article One uh, deals with. But today we come to the very final section uh, in Article One. And the last section is, in, in fact, uh, Section 10, which is all about the powers that are denied to states. Uh, and so, you know, we've already gone through Section 9 and there's kind of a reciprocal relationship between sections nine and ten, because as you might recall, uh, last time we were in the show, we were we were going through the powers denied to Congress, and here we're going to see and, and implied what states can't do, oftentimes in relationship to what Congress can do, uh, and so that's what we will start with first here when we come back in just a moment. Okay, so Ken, as I was saying, we're going to be start doing our, our Article One, Section Ten, and. I figured what we might just do here is is I'm just going to read the three clauses that come into this because there's actually some some larger elements, not always contemporaneously, but that are important when you're trying to kind of understand the history and the trajectory of the American Constitution. So I'm just going to go through here, uh, starting with the first clause in uh, Article 1, Section 10. No state shall enter into any treaty, alliance, or confederation, grant letters of marquee or reprisal, coin money, Emit bills of credit, make anything but gold and silver coin a tender in payment of debts, pass any bill of attainder, ex post facto law, or law impairing the obligation of contracts, or grant any title of nobility. No state shall, without the consent of Congress, lay any imposts or duties or imports or exports, except what be, may be absolutely necessary for executing its inspection laws. 
and the net produce of all duties and imposts laid by any state on imports or exports shall be for the use of the Treasury of the United States, and all such laws shall be subject to revision and control of Congress. No state shall, without the consent of Congress, lay any duty of tonnage, keep troops or ships of war in time of peace, enter into any, into any, any agreement or compact with another state or with a foreign power, or engage in war unless actually invaded or in such imminent danger as will not admit delay. So I know there in that first clause, we have a, uh, we have a couple of things going on, but there's a couple of really important uh, uh, bits to it, especially at the end. Now, of course, you get these kind of interesting things where, you know, Congress has the ability to coin money, but not states uh, uh, dealing with bills of credits. But we have, you know, uh, the, the law impairing the obligation of, of contracts. Or as I understand it, uh, weren't you dubbed something, Ken? I don't know. Like, don't you? <laughs> yes. don't you, have, you, brought, you brought it up in Section 9 that yes. you are, you're like so, Kentucky Colonel Fried Chicken yes, or something. What was I, that? I, am, I am a Kentucky Colonel. Um, uh, Article 1, Section 10 does uh, say that the states uh, cannot. Uh, grants uh, titles of nobility. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to ask none of our listeners to go to court and try to get a declaratory judgment <laughs> that, it's, that it's unconstitutional for me to uh, have that great title of nobility, uh, Kentucky Colonel. <laughs> well, you know, that kind of reminds me, I don't know, uh, you know, like, well, I'm sure Mike, Mike had to do it when he was sworn in as the faculty senate regent, I'm sure, but I remember as a student in NKU, you know, there's all these things that you had to agree to that you weren't doing. One is that you didn't have a title. But the one that we always found funnier was that you, you were not a second or a participant to a duel. To a duel. That doesn't fall <laughs> under the hair. But, you know, I, just, yeah. I like that portion. <laughs> well, I do consider uh, Kentucky Colonel to be the, the highest and most noble title that anyone in the United States is, is, is capable of getting. So I like to keep that title. But, but if we're, we're going to talk more systematically about Article 1, Section 10, you know, you, you read it. The, the first three words, no state shall, I'd like to just start by thinking about those a minute because, um, you know, the states have been mentioned a little bit earlier in Article 1. They they come up in Section 2 and Section 3 as the units that elect. We, we elect members to the um, House of Representatives um, from districts that are in states, uh, and, and, and the states generally uh, run the elections. Um, and then the U.S. Senate, um, uh, also the senators come from states, although Article 1 doesn't yet have the elections. That doesn't come till the 17th Amendment. Um, so we've heard about states essentially as places that Congress members get elected, but we really haven't heard anything else about states um, until we get to Article 1, Section 10. And the, the, the Constitution, you know, most of the main thrusts of it are just entirely about the United States government. And the states are sort of out there, but the, 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 the states are, are, are they're recognized in this constitution. But I think the most parts of this constitution sort of assume that state states are run by their own state constitutions and that this is a constitution for, for the United States government, for the federal government. So in that sense, Article 1, Section 10 is a little bit unusual. Right. It's, it's, yeah. well, just to be, I think one thing, if, if, if uh, listeners haven't thought about this, this is what uh, Marshall called dual citizenship in uh, uh, Baron v. Baltimore, right? There you have two different relationships, one defined by states to individuals and one, the, this is the one we're going through, the federal constitution, which defines individuals' relationships to the federal government primarily. Yeah. And so I think sort of a, exactly, and, and sort of a general theory of, of, of dual federalism would say, well, you know, both of the governments, um, the state government and the United States government, they're both 
Republican forms of government. They're both governments of the people, by the people, and for the people. The, the Kentucky Constitution is a government of the people, by the people, and for the people of Kentucky. The United States Constitution is a, is a government of the people, by the people, and for the people of the United States. And so mostly, we mostly expect the, the separate governments to get both their, their powers and the limits on their power um, from their own constitution. Um, but, but here we're, we are seeing a big exception to that. The United States Constitution is imposing limits on state governments. So it's not that the state, it's not that the people of a state have decided, it's not that the people of Kentucky have decided not to let the Kentucky government grant me that title of nobility. Um, <laughs> it, it's that that's coming, that limit is coming from the, the United States Constitution. So that's really, this is actually the first uh, thing we're seeing anywhere in the Constitution where the U.S. Constitution is telling the states you know, if you're part of the United States, here's something you can't do, even if right. you want to do it, and even if your own constitution would allow you to do it. Um, yeah, so then we can, that's, I just wanted to say that. I didn't know if you had any No, and you're that. right. I mean, as a matter of fact, that's the first phrase in, that's the first three words in each clause, right? Each clause, No yeah. state shall, no state shall, no state shall. And although it comes later, it's not part of the original constitution, we'll see that kind of set up again when we get to the first 10 amendments to the constitution, where you have that, the inverse of that, Congress shall not, Congress yeah. shall not, Congress shall not. Right. We don't see the phrase, no state shall again until we get the 14th amendment after the civil war. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But, but right now, so we're seeing this, so there's things the states can't do. Um, so, uh, yeah, the, the, and, and, you know, one thing about Article 1, Section 10 also, you can tell this was not written by modern lawyers because it's, it's really, really poorly organized. And it's, um, it seems like there's sort of two categories of things in here. There's some of these things are bad things that government shouldn't do. And so they, they also- Ex post facto laws, ex post for example. Laws. Yeah. yeah. So, and so you see those same prohibitions in Article 1, Section 9. So Congress isn't allowed to make ex post facto laws, and states also aren't allowed to make ex post facto laws. No government should make an ex post facto law. It's a bad thing. Um, there's other um, provisions in Article 1, Section 10 that are you know, more in the nature of federalism provisions that states shouldn't be doing them because Congress should be doing them. Like this money, is, for example. Like, like money, That's for the example. big one, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so this is not not that there's anything bad about having money in this country, um, but we want to have a United States currency, and we don't want states to have their own currency, and so states are prohibited from from doing that. Um, and so, I, I, if I was organizing Article One, Section Ten, you know, and I had three clauses, I probably would have only had two clauses. You know, I would have had the the list of bad things that you know states can't do, and Congress also can't do as one list, and then you know the the list of things that you know are good for Congress to do. But just states shouldn't do them, you know, as as the other list. But that's not at all the way it's organized. So it just kind of randomly goes back and forth between those those two categories. So we have to kind of um, you know tease that out as we as we go through, I guess. That's um, yeah, that's yeah. fair. Continue. Sorry. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm not trying to monopolize. You no, know, no, no. It's all good. It's all good. Yeah. So if we start then with the as you did with the treaties, alliances, and, and confederations, you know that's that's one of the um, federalism provisions, right? That the, the United States government of course, does have the power to make treaties um, with foreign countries, even to make military alliances like NATO uh, with foreign countries. Um, but, but the states can't, can't do that. They can't enter into treaties. They can't enter into alliances. They can't even enter into confederations. Um, and that might be with one another. 
right? Yeah. So something something like the Confederate States of America <laughs> is uh, expressly yeah. prohibited here, right? Well, yeah. and I think it might be worth you know understanding contextually why this might come first. You know, you might think, well, why are these treaties and alliances? Well, you got to recall back under. The Articles of Confederation, one of the problems in the immediate aftermath of the end of hostilities between the, uh, the burgeoning United States and England was, well, are we going to have a singular treaty system that's going to deal with them? Are we going to have one representative at that juncture? It, it, you know, it, it's uh, John Adams who's in England at that juncture. Um, or can individual states make their own bargaining relationship, right? Can they have their own individual treaties? And the problem with that, of course, was that that gave a potential advantage to foreign parties to say, well, look, you know, Massachusetts gave us this deal, so we're not going to take anything less than what we got from Massachusetts. So, you know, from our point of view, it might be weird that this treaty is the first thing that no state shall. But in the immediate aftermath of some of what was viewed as the flaws of the Articles of Confederation and what just happened pragmatically post the hostilities of the Revolutionary War, it makes a lot of sense this comes first. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know, um, you know, some of the British colonies, you know, Ontario had not um, joined the United States. And, and you know, now there was Canada out there and there was the, the possibility that um, Britain might try to peel off, you know, some of them and, yeah. and all that. So, yeah. So, yeah, there, there was. Uh, so that's there. I think I'm going to need to pause you right there, Ken, so that we can take a brief pause and then you can come back and we'll, we'll take up with the next sets of clauses. Okay, so Ken, we were we were kind of we ended the last section chatting about the states and treaties and no states. Continue the conversation there. Yeah, well, as part of the very poor organization of Article One, Section Ten, the next clause prohibits states from granting letters of mark and reprisal, um, which is really a, one of the limitations on on state military powers. But just for some odd reason, that's not grouped with the other limitations on, on state <laughs> military powers. It's just kind of sitting there on its own. But um, Congress does have the power to grant letters of mark and reprisal. So this is one of those ones where, um, as with the treaties, um, states can't do it, but Congress can. So it's not an inherently bad thing. It's just a thing that has to be done by the national government. And the the letters of mark and reprisal, that's a phrase you don't commonly hear these days. But um, what that was, was just... Um, putting uh, bounties on the heads of uh, foreigners. Um, and it was mostly used against um, international criminals like pirates and people like that. So if we couldn't, if we couldn't, um, if, if pirates, you know, weren't a country and we couldn't declare war, it was the early version of the war on terrorism. terrorism right? yeah, yeah, I was yeah, thinking of <laughs> that's a good yeah. way of putting so, it. Yeah, yeah. So, so the letters of mark and reprisal would be a way that Congress could use military force or or pay bounties for 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 privateers or mercenaries um, to 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 fight um, against what was you know the, the the 18th century version of international terrorism, um, short of um, declaring war against a foreign country. So Congress can can do that. States cannot do that, and that's just one of the one of the several uh, clauses that prevents states from from generally exercising any kind of military powers that the United States can exercise. And as you're talking about, you know, the, the weirdness of the list. So, you know, as you get to that this kind of second bold item, what follows immediately when you get with coining money, emitting bills of credit. Those all end up, those are actually specifically things Congress, we saw in Article 1, Section 8, gets the power to do. It's kind of the, okay, not only does Congress have this power, but these are things we don't want the, the uh, state, state governments state. to have power. 
Yeah, but but that list like jags back and forth that way because the yeah the first. But then several, we get to bills yeah, of attainder, which is, is, is a no for both. Yeah, no for both. <laughs> and then back to impair the obligations of contracts, which is something Congress can do. And then and then back to titles of nobility, which neither of them can do. So it really just jags back and forth in a in a in a random way. I think. Um, yeah. So coining money, emitting bills of credit, make anything but gold and uh, silver coin a tender. Um, even that, I think, jags back and forth a little bit. It's very clear that Congress can coin money and emit bill of credits, but states can't. So yes. we, we can only have United States um, uh, currency in this country. Now, the, the make, making anything but gold and silver coin a tender in payment of debts, um, some people have read that to be similar to the Congress having the power to coin money. So there were some debates about, about that in the 19th century, whether, we, whether the power to coin money um, prohibited um, U.S. currency going off some kind of gold standard, whether, whether the, the, we could have paper money, but they used to argue, you know, does the paper money have to be backed by coin? You know, if, if, if they were printing money and it wasn't backed by coin, would that go beyond Congress's power to coin money? Right. Um, so we're told that states can't coin money. Um, and it turns out that um, uh, uh, Congress, um, in the end, in the, in the, gold, in the gold clause cases, um, it does end up getting the right to go off the gold standard. So um, by now, this was a little uncertain, you know, until the late 19th century. Um, Congress can make a U.S. currency. It doesn't have to be backed by coin or gold or silver, um, but states can't have any currency. And that's kind of really the, the contemporary interpretations of that. So, you know, we've, we really have already talked about bills of attainder and ex post facto laws. Uh, because, again, as you've noted, we're zagging back again for the things that we're just saying governments shouldn't be, can't be allowed to do. But then we get the impairing or, or law impairing the obligation of contracts. Uh, and for a long time in American history, that's actually a really important aspect of jurisprudence. So. Uh, can th this goes back to thinking about well, what would state could could states interfere kind of with private property rights is what a lot of it has ends up having to be uh, 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 figured out. Take us through that a little bit. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, and although that might that, that that what you said is right, but that might have come a little bit you know a decade or two after the ratification of the clause. So that when 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 Hamilton argued for this clause um, and, and getting it put into the Constitution, he argued for it in the Federalist Papers. Um, Hamilton's big idea was that. Uh, we need we need both a stable currency and a stable banking system. That, that if we're if we're if we're ever going to have conditions um, where businesses can be stable and can grow, um, uh, capital can be harnessed and reinvested, and we can achieve material prosperity, um, Hamilton argued that it, it starts with not being too quick to allow debt relief. Um, so his idea was you, you need a, a stable banking system, but a stable banking system needs to have some assurances that when it loans money, um, the, the debts won't be forgiven. You know, it'll be paid back. Um, but yet it was also seen at the time there, there's got to be some legal mechanism to deal with bankruptcy because it, it does happen that people owe, owe debts and, and can't pay. And there needs to be some kind of legal process for, for, for working that out. So we, we can't have a legal system that, that, that never can discharge debts, but, but, or else we'll just have chaos when people can't pay their debts. Um, but we can't have a legal system that's, where it's too easy to discharge debts 
because it'll it'll often be popular. You know, we're certainly seeing an example <laughs> of that right now with the student loan debt forgiveness yeah. and all that. Yeah. There will be, well, and, there will and, be and in some instances, we'll see states, they, they, they kind of almost made that by percentage-wise blush. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, and, and you know, and, and the, the PPP loans that were mostly forgiven. And right. there's, there's always political reasons it's popular to forgive debt. And so um, what, what, the, 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 the compromise that Hamilton argued for was uh, bankruptcy law should be a, 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 an exclusive congressional power. Congress should have the power to enact a uniform law of bankruptcy uh, within bankruptcy proceedings uh, under law that Congress can enact. Um, there will be ways to do orderly workouts of, of, of bankruptcies and debts. Um, but states should not have the power to relieve debt because uh, state debt relief would be so, something that would really threaten um, the, the stability of, of, of a financial system because, you know, maybe in New York state where you've got Wall Street, you know, the, the banks would have enough influence that they could fight that back. But in every other state, you know, the, the, the debtors are always going to have more political sway than the, than the creditors. And so they're, they're going to get um, uh, debt relief laws and it'll dry up the availability of capital. So that sort of was the Hamiltonian uh, uh, argument for putting uh, in, uh, uh, giving Congress an enumerated power to make a uniform law of bankruptcy, but taking away from the states uh, the ability to impair the obligation of contracts, which he mainly saw as to impair uh, debts. To, right. to, to, but yeah. now this kind of takes on a different mode as we get into Marshall's, Chief Justice Marshall's interpretation of it. But, Absolutely. Be but before yeah. we yeah. get to Marshall's conception of that, we're going to have to uh, pause for a minute and just say that this is where we end uh, the preview so if, if you're following along and you want to learn more about uh, uh, the contract clause, the rest of Article 1, Section 10, I, Ken and I would love to have you. Uh, but to do that, you're going to have to become a supporter of the politics, guys. The politics, guys, the reason it functions is because we have supporters. And some of the cool things that you get are these kinds of extended conversations that we can have kind of breaking away from the news cycle for these midweek shows. And we'd love for you to continue on with that. And you can do that. By heading to the show notes and taking a look at the variety of ways that you can support the show. And it's not just this show. It's not just getting to finish uh, conversations about the contract clause or more broadly, we have been going through, as we've already mentioned, the entire Constitution. There's a lot more Constitution left and we'd like for you to be a part of that as it's happening and maybe even a part of that conversation on Discord with us where it's happening as well because there's all different kinds of levels of support. So again, head down to the show notes to take a look at that. Or if you just want to check it out real quick, you're going to head to ped to patreon.com slash politic guys. That again is patreon.com slash politics guys. Now there's other ways you can support the show. That includes Venmo where we're at politics guys. You can also support the show through PayPal. Again, all of those links and notes are in the show notes as well as at politicsguys.com slash support. Now, I get it. Uh, you know, I, I said it on the weekend show. I've got three kids, but sometimes you're just not in a position to financially support the show. We understand that. We'd still like you to be a part of the longer Constitution show. But to do that, what I need you to do is to reach out to Mike at Mike at politicsguys.com. Explain what's going on and he'll get you set up. Uh, again, if whether you're a supporter or not, we'd love for you to rate and subscribe all the shows, but we'd really love for you to continue that conversation. Really like for you to head to politicsguys.com slash support. So I'm going to finish us there. Uh, unless you've got some questions for us, again, you can always reach us at mail at politicsguys or on Facebook and Twitter. All of those, again, are in the show notes. The executive producers of the Politics Guys are Bruce Johnson, Wilma Morano, Andra Masker, 
Daniel Toe, Ryan Beasley, Don Oglesby, and Ivan English. We'll be back with a new episode this weekend. I hope you'll join us then.